Shall we pray? Dear Lord, just make me a nail upon the wall, fastened securely in its place. Then from this thing so common and so small, hang a bright picture of thy face. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The topic at this hour, friends, is the mark of the beast principle. There are two phases of the mark of the beast principle. One is the force to do wrong. The other is forcing to do right. When people are majoring in forcing others to do wrong, that's one of the principles of the mark of the beast. When people are forcing individuals to do right, and they major in forcing people to do right, this is another principle, another phase of the principle of the mark of the beast. And this second phase of the principle of the mark of the beast is understood by very, very few professed Christians. There are thousands of professed Christians who have come to the conclusion that if, if they nag a person to do right, if they belittle a person to do right, they're doing right. They're not doing right. They're practicing one phase of the mark of the beast principle. For we read in Revelation, the 13th chapter, verses 16 and 17, that the beast and the image of the beast causes or forces the conscience. He forces people to do wrong. To force people to do wrong is wrong. It is the mark of the beast principle. To force people to do right is also a mark of the beast principle. Now, we don't mean by this that children shouldn't learn obedience. I believe the first law of discipline in the home is obedience. But to teach our children obedience, we must cover a large area combining this demand that they be obedient with love and joy and faith and hope and the love and the happiness of Jesus Christ, not just brute force, even with the little children. But when men and women who profess Jesus Christ decide that they must go out and, and pick on people and force people to listen to what they have to offer, little do they realize that they're practicing one of the Mark of the Beast principles. I'm glad, though, friends, that if you and I have picked on people, if we've tried to shame people into doing right, if we've tried to, to get them to do right by, by picking, by, by belittling, by condemning, by scolding, thank the Lord he'll forgive that. He said if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you've used the wrong methods in presenting what you felt was the gospel, I have too. I remember when I was just a little boy. I must have been about the third grade in a public school. And I had a great urge. I had a zeal, a religious zeal, to let people know why they were doing wrong. Did you ever have that? That obsession? And so one day the, the teacher in this public school asked us to do a little theme, a third grade theme. And I said to myself, here's my opportunity. I'm going to put over my religious convictions to this public school in a way they've never heard it before in all their lives. And so my theme was, was, was a short theme. I was short too. 
And the theme went like this. There are four-legged hogs. And there are two-legged human beings. When a two-legged human being eats a four-legged hog, the two-legged human being becomes a two-legged hog. That was my theme. That was my theme. You see, my father was a vegetarian. <laughs> my father had eaten pork all of his early life, and at the age of 28, he learned that pork wasn't good, and he stopped eating pork, and he grew up. <laughs> and so he taught us to be vegetarians. So since I was a vegetarian, I knew it was my duty, you know, to belittle everybody who was not a vegetarian. Little did I dream that I was practicing one of the mark of the beast principles. And then think of that little boy in the third grade going to church next Sabbath and filling in the report card, one missionary visit. <laughs> and you know what the beast must have said? He must have said, that's one more mark for the beast. <laughs> one more mark for the beast. It didn't close there. I really, for years, thought I'd done a pretty good job. And then I decided that I also had been persecuted for it because when I read this theme to the whole pupil body, you know, the teacher came up to where I was and now to see how he persecutes. I want to be very clear to you that I was persecuted, as I thought. He took me where the hair was tender and the skin was more tender and he began to pull. And I said, there it is. Every time you try to do right, somebody's going to persecute you. I didn't realize that I was reaping <laughs> what I had sown. I had sown a mark of the beast principle. I was using belittling pressure, and so I got back some pressure <laughs> in the form, form of you-know-what. But it didn't stop there. You know, it's, it's an easy thing for a person to get into a habit and to get in the habit of belittling others. You know, the, the devil tells us, when you belittle others, it means you're bigger. It does, it means you're a bigger devil. Much bigger. But I didn't know that. So I did quite a bit of practicing of the Mark of the Beast principle through, through my early life. I remember I was holding a series of meetings with two other young men, way out in the sticks, we had a big tent up on a hill. And one day I preached on the subject, the mark of the beast. And I want to tell you, I gave the people the works. And I sent my report into the conference. <laughs> one more sermon. It was one more sermon by the animal coon on the mark of the beast. And you know, some of my church members, oh, they loved it. Isn't it amazing how Christians love to have other Christians belittle? They rushed up to the conference office. They got a hold of the conference president. They said, oh, you ought to hear that man, Coon. is wonderful. I was 25 years old. He is wonderful. They said, you ought to hurt him. You should have really heard him preach on the mark of the beast. They said, oh, he rode that beast all over the rostrum. They liked it. They liked to have a Christian a professed Christian belittle other Christians who don't understand the mark of the beast and do not understand the final issues of Christendom. My friends, may God forgive you and me wherein we have been a little people of any other denomination. What do you say? 
and he will forgive us. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. God is a good God. He's a merciful Savior. Thank the Lord for his wonderful, wonderful forgiveness. Several years ago, after we'd begun to change our methods, my wife and I were traveling from Daytona Beach, Florida, to uh, St. Augustine, I believe it was, or Jacksonville. As we were driving along, we saw a very well-dressed gentleman, a hitchhiker. Uh, we, we didn't usually pick up hitchhikers, but I felt impressed to pick him up. Such a clean-looking gentleman. So we stopped, invited him to ride with us. As we were riding along in this uh, short trip of less than an hour, I believe it was, uh, what would we do now? We wanted to share with him some Bible principles. Anybody here ever like to share Bible principles? Oh, I see there are several, at least six or seven. Good. Now, we wanted to share Bible principles desperately. We wanted to instruct people. But did you know that we are not to instruct any adult unless he wants to be? Did you know that? Unless there's a, a, a heart opening. So I learned this. And I had been teaching principles of soul winning for years <laughs> since I rode that beast all over the rostrum. <laughs> and I'd been practicing this. So I was praying for the Holy Spirit and wisdom, as I recall now. Lord, help me to know how not to force any instruction on this gentleman. So you know how Jesus did instead of forcing instruction on people? You know what he did? You know he, how he got them to ask questions? He asked them questions. He picked up this art at the age of 12. You remember back there in the temple? His parents had lost him for three days. They went back into Jerusalem. They hunted around the city. Somebody said, there's a young fellow there in the temple. He, they walked in the temple, and there they found this 12-year-old boy asking questions of the greatest educators of the day, greatest religious educators. And as daddy and mother listened and watched attentively, they noticed in turn these great educators were doing what? Who knows? Asking him questions. If you want to get people to ask you questions, ask them questions. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. If you and I want people to respect our conscience, respect their conscience. Amen? Amen. So I ask him questions. What line of work you engage, are you engaged in? Well, he said, I've been greatly interested in hypnotism. <laughs> ah, brother, couldn't I tell him something about hypnotism? Whether he wanted to know or not, you know, the coon in me wanted to come out right then and tell him something about hypnotism. But you know what, friends? He hadn't asked. <laughs> and if you throw instruction at an individual whose heart isn't open, open, we waste our time, we waste the scripture. We waste his time. But as I ask him questions, he said, yes, I, I've, I've studied the science of hypnotism a very great deal. And you know, I had to pray to keep my mouth shut. Really? My, my, I could tell him so many things, you know. Mm. <laughs> but instead of that, the Lord helped me to ask more questions and ask some more questions. And he said, but you know what? He said, I finally decided that I'm not going to have anything more to do with hypnotism. And I thought, 
He did without my instructing him? How in the world could he come to that, in, that conclusion without my instructing him? You know, there's, there's the Holy Spirit, friends. The Holy Spirit will instruct and teach honest-hearted individuals. He may not do it as fast as you and I think he should, but let's not get discouraged. And I said, uh, how did you happen to decide that you wouldn't uh, have anything more to do with this science of hypnotism? When I said science, you know, I thought, quote, unquote, science? Science of hypnotism? <sighs> How did you happen to decide that you wouldn't uh, delve any more deeply into hypnotism? He said, because I found that I could hypnotize a person and I could take his mind out in the woods, so to speak. But he said, I found that I couldn't bring his mind back. And he said, so I haven't studied deeply enough into it and, and I'm afraid. And I wanted to say, brother, that's what I wanted to tell you for the last half an hour. But you know, I didn't. It's wonderful to let the Holy Spirit do his work. Amen? Amen. And, and I said very quietly and uh, cautiously and kindly, I said, I think, uh, I said, I, 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 I think that you've used really good judgment. He said, uh, by the way, what do you do? <laughs> well, I said, I'm a preacher. <clears throat> oh, he said, I have a Bible question I'd like to ask you. He said, <clears throat> Who is the king of the north in Daniel's prophecy? <laughs> and I said, well, brother, to tell you the truth, I'm not sure. <laughs> and you know, I've learned one thing. It's a wonderful thing not to be a know-it-all. Have you ever noticed that? Nobody is going to disrespect us because we don't know everything in the world. <clears throat> I said, I'm not quite sure. There are various versions, various beliefs, I'm not quite sure who, who he is. And I was praying some more that he asked some kind of a question that I was really versed in. <clears throat> and sure enough, it came. Oh, he said, sir, have you ever studied about the, the number 666 in the book of Revelation and the mark of the beast? And I thought, oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Now I can really mark that man up <clears throat> with the mark of the beast. And the Lord said, take it easy, Coon. Take it easy. Take it real easy. And you know what the Lord impressed me to do? To present to that man the principle of the mark of the beast. The principle is the creature trying to force another creature to do what the first creature thinks he should do. That's the principle. When one creature is determined that he will that he will force this other individual to follow his conscience. This is the principle of the mark of the beast. It is not the mark of the beast ripened into the real mark, but it is a thing that leads to the mark, right? When one human being or a group of human beings determine that they will force another man to follow their conscience, that's the principle. Whether their conscience is right or whether it's wrong, it's still wrong. So I said, uh, yes, I'm quite conversant with that. I've studied that for many years. And as I did it, I tried not to have a tone in my voice like uh, I know everything, you know. You know why it's good not to have that tone? Because we don't know everything. So I said, as I have studied this for years, 
I said it's in the 13th chapter of the book of Revelation. And there are several symbols there brought to view. We only had about 15 minutes left in our trip, you see. There are several symbols brought to view, but I said very briefly, in my study of years of this subject along with others, I've learned that the mark of the beast, it says he causes or he forces. And it says he is a religious power because he forces their worship. So I said, as I understand it, there is coming a time, a great crisis is coming in Christendom. And in this crisis, there will be laws that are intended to force our conscience to do what the, those who have, who have created these laws, enacted these laws, feel that we should do. Whether we can conscientiously do it or not, they'll be forcing us to do it. I said, and as I have understood it, this mark of the beast, as it ripens and the crisis becomes acute, I said, I've learned that it has to do with the keeping of a day. And I said, any laws that are enforced which will, which will force you or me to keep any day, whether it's Saturday or Sunday, is not of the Lord, it's of Satan. And I then dwelt quite a bit regarding the law of pressure versus the law of choice. You know, it's a wonderful thing for us to know that we don't have to go ahead of the Holy Spirit. You see, righteousness is a faith. Habakkuk 2.4 says, The just shall live by faith. You can't pressure faith. You can't force a man to believe. Believing in the Lord is a response to God's mercy and grace. It's a free, liberty, outgoing love relationship. Imagine a human being trying to force another adult to love God. Ridiculous, isn't it? Trying to force another individual to believe as he believes. It is satanic, friends. And even as a little boy, I learned some lessons. I remember I was growing beans. My dad let me grow beans. That's a law of choice. He let me even choose what beans I would grow. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> he let me choose how I would fertilize the beans. And he let me choose how fast I would let the beans grow. Isn't that wonderful? But I chose to have the beans grow faster than nature chose. I saw the beans coming up, and I said, those beans are... They're too slow. They should grow faster. And so, I, being a very intelligent young man, you understand, I reached down and took one bean by the stalk and gently, very gently, applied a little pressure. And by the time I was through, that bean, believe me, had grown over half an inch. Oh, I knew then I was intelligent. So I took another bean and I did the same. In a matter of a half an hour, I had been successful. The whole group of beans, the whole patch had grown. The next morning, you've guessed it, all the beans were flat on their face. And then it dawned over me that whatever I knew, I sure didn't know beans. 
Don't you think, friends, that we ought to ask the Lord to help us to steer away from every form of human pressure? What do you say? It's high time we did it. That is what the Lord wants us to do. He's, he's just looking down saying, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. It is the Holy Spirit that transforms the life. You and I can use all the arguments in this world, and that doesn't transform a human soul. That doesn't create the new birth. The Spirit of God creates the new birth. And as man sees the beauty of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit presents before him a love that is infinite, and the heart goes up in our, our response to his love and a loving faith. And the Lord says, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Oh, friends, don't you pray that God will help all of us to present Jesus in all of his beauty, that men beholding him may be changed. They may let the Holy Spirit have his, his way and love that is not forced faith that is not high-pressured may swell up to the Lord. It's a hard lesson to learn. We're holding a series of meetings perhaps several hundred miles from here. And one evening as we brought the, that particular service to a close, we felt impressed by the Holy Spirit to invite people who would receive Jesus. You know, if there's anyone here who came in without having accepted Jesus. Remember, you can accept him in the simple act of faith. By grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. And I, we explain to them that salvation is a free gift. Repentance is a free gift. Forgiveness is a free gift. We reach up in simple childlike faith and receive salvation, eternal life. And I said, also, there may be those here who are already God's children but you'd like to make a deeper commitment to your Lord and Master. If so, I said, all who would like to do this, either for the first time or a backslider returning or someone here who would like to make, make a deeper commitment, you may stand. Among those who stood, way at, ex at the extreme rear on my left was a beautiful Catholic lady. People didn't just all stand in mass. One stood here, one stood here, another stood here. And as I, we were extending this call, she stood. By the time we're through, there's scores standing. When we sang the closing song, there was a Protestant Christian way over at my extreme right, and she knew this Catholic lady. <laughs> they were friends. And just the moment that the meeting was dismissed, she made her way quickly through, the, through the, the pews, quickly, quickly. Something was very important. And she walked down very briskly down the aisle to where this fine Catholic lady was standing. And the Catholic lady seemed to know what was in the mind of her Protestant Christian friend, namely, a little pressure. You know, a little teaching. I'm now going to tell you what to do and report one missionary visit. And the lady seemed to just grasp the whole situation. And as this Protestant Christian drew near to her, the Catholic lady raised both hands 
And she looked her full in the face and she said, Lady, lady, please, please, just pray for me and shut up. I say, praise the Lord. But do you know even that doesn't shut up everybody? There are lots of homes where husbands can't shut up. <laughs> there are lots of homes where wives can't shut up. Men come to me and they say, I'm the head of this house. I said, yes, but don't be the blockhead. Some ladies will come and say, I just have to boss my husband. I said, don't tell your husband anything to do, even if he puts his socks in the frying pan. If you don't tell a thing, if you don't practice the mark of the beast, the socks will convey their own message, and he'll never do it again. By grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Friends, as the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart and mine tonight, my great longing is that I as a Christian and that you as a Christian will so reflect the beautiful love of Jesus Christ that men will be allured to him. 1 John 4.19 says we love him because he what? He first loved us. Thank the Lord for that wonderful, wonderful love of Jesus Christ. As the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts tonight, with all the trouble and the anguish that some hearts have gone through, shall we bow our heads? Did you come in this evening without the assurance that your sins are forgiven? And do you want to just say, by God's grace, I lift my hand saying, Lord, I will accept complete and total forgiveness without any human pressure just because Jesus loves me so much. I want to respond to that love. If so, would you lift your hand? Thank you, dear Lord. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And now for your questions, and before we deal with these questions, we want to claim the promise of Luke eleven thirteen. Dear Lord, you've said, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? So we're asking for your Holy Spirit. We believe you and we thank you we are receiving in Jesus' name, amen. And the first question, Brother Steve. Pastor Kuhn, would you please read Romans 14, 5, and 6 and explain? Yes, Romans 14, 5, and 6 goes something like this. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another man esteemeth every day alike. Let every one, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Let. The Apostle Paul is here saying that we're not to pressure people into obedience. And the twelfth verse says, we will all give an account of ourselves to God, you see. It doesn't mean that it doesn't make any difference with God. It rather means that we are not to judge each other and pressure each other. I remember several years ago, a friend of mine was telling me the experience that he and his brother had. He said they, for the first time, heard about the seventh day being the Sabbath. And he said, uh, he hadn't seen his brother for a few days, and when he saw him this, this day, his brother said, you know, he said, I've decided not to keep the Sabbath. He said, because uh, the Bible says one man esteems one day above another, another man esteems every day alike. Uh, let each man be fully persuaded in his own mind. And his brother said, yes, but don't forget that God is still going to judge us by his word. 
And Jesus said, the word that I've spoken, it will judge you. In that last day, his brother said, you're right. I'm going to follow the Lord. Next question. The Bible says that the number of the mark of the beast is 666. And we can neither buy nor sell unless we have a mark in the hand or the forehead. Who or what is the mark of the beast? The mark of the beast, as presented in, in Revelation chapter 13, verses 16 and 17, is not keeping Sunday. Sunday keeping is not the mark of the beast. We don't receive the mark of the beast in keeping Sunday. But if we had the time to go into the whole uh, story, the, the Bible study of the whole thing, we would find that it is when the, the civil law enacts this and compels us under pressure. And then when men, knowing that the seventh day is the only Bible Sabbath, knowing that this is obedience to God, they still turn from obedience to God because of, of human pressure in the form of a law. It is at that time that they receive the mark. There's no Christian in the world today that has received the mark of the beast. And we should be extremely careful, friends, not to give people the impression that people, good, honest, faithful, winsome, wholesome Sunday keepers, sometimes people get the impression from Sabbath keepers that we're trying to make out that they have the mark of the beast. It's not true. It's not true. No one receives the mark of the beast as such until knowingly he turns from obedience to God and knowingly he keeps a day that God has never sanctified because of human pressure. This questioner says, I know the Sabbath is supposed to be a day of joy and that it is God's gift to us, but sometimes it's such a drag to go to church and do all the, quote, right things. How can the Sabbath be a delight as God has said in Isaiah 58? That's Isaiah chapter 58, verse 13. Let me give you a little picture. Some uh, 25 years ago, we organized a new church over at Madison, Tennessee. And we decided that by God's grace, everything connected with our religious service would be saturated with joy. Because God says in Psalm 1611, in his presence is what? Fullness of joy. At his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. So we endeavored that every department of the Sabbath school would be a joy department. Prayer meetings would be a joy in the Lord. Every phase of the religious service would be joyful. Because God says in 826 texts of Scripture that our worship and our whole life should be joyful, right? And Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So we determined that we'd make everything joyful. Every department. My wife and a doctor's wife headed up one of the departments of the, of the smaller people. One Sabbath morning, my wife got a, a telephone call from the mother of one of these little fellows. The mother said, Mrs. Kuhn, I have a real problem. We don't know what to do today. She said, my husband and I had decided that just for this Sabbath, we'd go to another church. 
And when our little girl learned that we weren't going to the same church for Sabbath school, she's just overwhelmed with grief. She's sobbing, Mommy, I want to go to Sabbath school. I want to go to my own Sabbath school. What shall we do? Well, the answer is clear. What should she do? Go to Sabbath school. Where her child can be happy and joyful, right? That's right. Our religion is to be so joyful because to know Christ is to know joy. The strength of Christ is the joy of Christ. The witnessing program is a joy program. Psalm 51, 12, and 13. Listen to this. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Restore what? The joy of your salvation. Then will I teach transgressors your way. What is God's way? The joyful way. And sinners, I'm quoting, shall be converted unto you. Aren't you glad? You know, I think I picked this joy program up largely from my father and mother. When I was a little fellow, I remember one winter up in New York State, we have, we have winters there. <laughs> and one cold, wintry winter, <laughs> there was an evangelist. Uh, no, pardon me, evangelist, quote, unquote, <laughs> holding a series. But he wasn't evangelistic. He looked like you, would, you should borrow his face to combat a bulldog. And the theory that he preached was so far above me, I, didn't, I had the slightest idea what he was saying. And I wondered if he did. Sure, he knew what he was saying, but I didn't. It was, to me, it was so dry it would choke a horse or an ox. I noticed the grown-ups were listening. They were being blessed, but I wasn't. And I remember mother had a fox fur around her neck. <laughs> now, never in religious services did my parents permit their children to cut up. They had eight boys, no girls, so they had to have discipline. Mm. Never could we cut up. Never could we interrupt that service. But praise the Lord, my mother had enough sense to know that I didn't have enough sense to know what the preacher was preaching about. And there she had this little fox fur with two little fox uh, heads. <laughs> little eyes put in for, uh, little pins put in for eyes, you've seen that. Two smaller pins for nostrils, you know, fox nostrils. And I put my head down on mother's lap. <laughs> and I looked up in those fox heads. And I became an eye, ear, nose, and throat specialist. <laughs> I took out those eyes. I adjusted them put them back in. I was as quiet as a mouse. I better had be. <laughs> then I got the eyes back in. A couple times they were a little crossed, you know. Then as, a, as an eye specialist, I'd straighten them out, you know. <laughs> really, it was, it was delightful. <laughs> I, I began to realize I was somewhat efficient beside. Then after I got the eyes put back in, I took the little, the little nostrils out, looked them over, you know, put them back in. And you know, I never hated religion because thank God for parents who don't make religion boring, make it delightful. And I want to tell you, my friends, it can be done in worship, in family worship. You know how to have family worship? Have it delightful. Don't make it long. Make it short, family worship. Make it short. A little chorus together. Let the children choose a chorus now and then. 
you see? Let them participate. Don't just make them sit there like little statues. And you better sit at a 90-degree angle. Who in the world likes that kind of a religion? It isn't Christ's, you see? So I, I, I liked religion. I enjoyed it. I didn't enjoy all that I saw. <laughs> it's true. I went to church some Sabbath days, and they gave me so much of the time of trouble that I had a lot of time of trouble trying to get over the time of trouble. <laughs> and they gave me so many of the plagues that I felt they were a plague, you know. <laughs> My friends, we must tell the truth, but let us be saturated with the love and the delight of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. That's what God wants us to do. It can be done in worship. It can be done in discipline. It can be done in Sabbath school. It can be done in prayer meeting. It can be done in every phase of the worship of God. Uh, do you suppose I better tell them another story, Steve, or are there a number more questions? Oh, there's lots of questions, but do what the Spirit leads. All right, the Spirit has led me, with your permission to, to do this. My wife and I were traveling across the continent several years ago, and some friends of ours invited us when we got to their place to stay with them a couple, two or three days, they said, we know you've been overworked, so nobody will come and ask you for any solutions. <laughs> There'll be no problems presented to you at all. You can just relax. So we came to their place, and we just sat back to relax, and the lady said, oh, there's just one exception. She said, my sister is in trouble. Do you mind if she comes over and talks with you? I said, sure, that'll be all right. <laughs> So she came over and told of her, her problems. Uh, a little later, the fine lady of the home said, oh, you, pardon, just one more exception. <laughs> There's another lady who says she'll never get to see you maybe again. Would you mind if she came? And I said, that'll be all right. <laughs> yeah, that'll be all right. So the lady came in, and she said, Pastor, I have a little boy, nine years old, who just announced last Sabbath that he doesn't want to go to Sabbath school anymore. She said, Pastor, and tears came to her eyes. She said, I, I hate to interrupt you. I said, Sister, don't worry about interrupting. We're here to help. She said, what in the world are you going to do to a nine-year-old boy who is fed up with Sabbath school? <clears throat> and I gave her quite a bit of counsel. Among the, uh, the bits of counsel was this. I said, you get together with all the teachers in the Sabbath school and agree that every Sabbath school class for those kiddies will be packed full of the joy of Jesus Christ. Not levity, but joy. And I said, I want, to, I want to give you an example. I said, I was invited to speak to a group of primary children at Sabbath school in a very large church. The primary division itself must have had two, 200 primaries. And I said, I, as I was sitting there getting ready for my little story to the primaries, I said, the very fine lady that was in charge evidently was embarrassed because some of them came a little late. And she was also embarrassed because primary children are primarily wigglers, you know. That's why they're primaries. Primarily, they're wigglers. So she felt that out of uh, graciousness and respect for their guest speaker that she must give them a little tutelage. So she said, boys, before our speaker speaks, boys and girls, I just want to say this. 
when you come to church next Sabbath, to Sabbath school, I hope you'll come on time. Now, friends, what was the wrong about that? Anybody? What was wrong about that? I said to myself, she just struck out. You know why she struck out? She didn't make Sabbath school delightful. And all of the kiddies that were there on time were placed under the negative. What would have been better? She could have turned to me and said, Brother Kuhn, do you know I have some good news for you? Almost every single one of these children was here on time. Isn't that wonderful? And the little faces. And, and then she could say, but there were a few children that couldn't quite make it. And Brother Kuhn, do you know what I think? And I said, what do you think? She said, I think those children that couldn't make it, I think they wanted to be here so badly. But probably, probably Daddy overslept. And a little hand would go, Teacher, that's what happened, Mrs. Blank. That's what happened. What a shame to blame a primary child for a lazy, lummoxy dad. What do you say? <laughs> and then about that time, you know, I think I'd have come into the picture and I said, uh, Mrs. Blank, uh, uh, might I make a suggestion to the children if daddy oversleeps? I would suggest you go to the refrigerator, get a, little, a few little chunks of ice, put it in a... <laughs> you've guessed it. Put it, but you haven't guessed it all yet. Put it in a glass of water, pour a little water in, and about that time the little kiddies would have been what? <laughs> I said, wait, wait, I haven't told you what to do with the glass yet. No, sir, don't you throw that water on daddy. Don't you do that. You drink a few sips so that you won't get upset. It'll cool you down. And they all would have been happy. And they'd be eager to be there next Sabbath. Then she said, and then she said another. And now, children, something else I'd like to say to you. Next Sabbath, when you come to Sabbath school, bless her heart. <laughs> bless her heart. Next Sabbath, when you come to Sabbath school, would you please sit up like little ladies and gentlemen? And I said to myself, that's strikeout number two. What should she have said? Bro something like this. Brother Cohn, do you know? Do you know, isn't it wonderful how these little kiddies are sitting up so beautifully, how well behaved they are? And then she might say, and if some of you are just a little wiggly, I understand. And about that time, I think I'd come to the picture and I'd say, you know, I understand too. I was born a wiggler. All my life I've been a wiggler, boys and girls. I still wiggle. I can't be quiet, even when I'm on the rostrum. I'm doing this or this or this all the while. I understand. Why don't we sing a chorus? And all the kiddies would get up and sing a chorus. Now, after the chorus, you'll be real quiet. You see? And I often, when I go to a, to a camp meeting, I say, now, boys and girls, I'm going to tell you a story. There's going to be a lot of joy in this, but as we have a lot of joy, I'm going to lay down some ground rules. Don't any of you poke another. And don't any of you whisper while I'm talking. We're going to have a lot of joy. You can laugh when we laugh, then sober up. Don't turn to somebody else and poke him. Don't turn to somebody else and whisper. You'll miss what we're doing. And I said, I want to warn you beforehand, we're going to be very happy, but there will be perfect order. And if some of you forget, I'm warning you now, I'm going to have to punish you. I'm going to have to punish you before everybody. And you know, in one camp meeting, oh, they were so quiet. 
they were so quiet. And when they got through, I said, do you know, what do you suppose, how do you suppose I was going to punish you if one of you boys had cut up? I said, is there one boy here that would come up? I won't hurt you, but I'll show you how I'd have punished you if you'd cut up. And one of the boys raised said, I'll come up, <laughs> little fellow, you know. Let's see, who'd come up to represent it? Some young, young boy here. Where is he? Where is he? We'll, we'll, we'll say you're a teenager and you're coming up, will you? Thank you. All right. And so this teenager, this little boy, hardly in his teens, came up. I said, now I'm going to show you how I would have punished you. I said, this is it. And all those children, thank you, all those children left. And you know what he did? You know, the religion of Jesus Christ is not boredom. Let's learn how to make it joyful. <laughs> Next question. My high school son does not want to attend church. Do you think I'm using the mark of, be of the beast principle when I insist that he go? Not necessarily. This is very, very important. You see, the first law of discipline is obedience. I must insist that my children obey, for I am Godward to them. And I am to tell them, as you learn to obey me, and as I discipline you when you don't obey me, it will be in love. I'm not going to get mad. It'll be in love so that you will know that discipline and obedience is part of life. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.